Thank you for joining in for this City Lights Church podcast. We're a new church in the north of Brisbane, and you can find out more about us at www.citylights.community. We hope that this podcast encourages you in your journey of following Jesus. Enjoy the journey. And so... Uh, today, we're going to continue talking about failure. I've got a quote from evangelist and uh, author D.L. Moody. And he said this. I don't know if that's uh, able to come up on, on the slides on PowerPoint. Uh, he said this. He said, Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Think about that. Our greatest fear not should, not should be of failing, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Now, as Rebecca said last week, we were traveling uh, back to Sydney and we took uh, time to go on a harbour ferry and took the kids on the harbour ferry. And we were uh, kind of sailing through the harbour side. Who knows? It's beautiful if you've ever been And uh, one of the things, a couple of things that you know or I noticed is the incredible wealth in Sydney Harbour, the houses. And also we're going past and I went past the office that I used to work in. So prior to coming to Brisbane, uh, my wife and I both had successful careers in corporate. And um, one of my jobs, I was working for a very large American company, $1 billion annual sales in Australia. And uh, I had a job that I loved and I had my own office with a harbour view. And when uh, God called us to, to Brisbane, and we've been here almost 10 years, um, at the time it was just like, yes, this is, this is what God's called us to do. No regrets, no kind of looking over the shoulder. But I must admit to you that as I was going around the harbour, something in my mind started to ask, what if? What if, Andrew, what if you had stayed? You know, becoming a pastor, you don't become a pastor because it's easy or because you want to get rich, okay? There are two reasons you don't. You don't because you, you, you're following God. And so I was thinking and I was like, oh, Andrew, what if, what if you had stayed? What kind of, you know, I was thinking about wealth and I was thinking about finances and I was thinking about a version of success and luckily for me, God was able to go, hey, like, come on, like, get your head back in the game. This is not who I've called you to be. You're in the right place at the right time. And so I want to ask you a couple of questions, get a couple of, get your mind thinking. Who or what defines success for you? Who or what defines success for you? If we were to lift the lid on your brain, on your thought processes, on your desires, on your motivation... What's your picture of success and where did it come from? Where did it originate? I think that's a pretty good question to think about, to mull over. Connected to that, what's your vision of the future? And if you achieved your picture of success, would you be happy? Would you be satisfied? Once you got there, would it just be that you need to get somewhere else? Or when you see Uh, what's ahead of you, you go, Leah, I would be content. I am content in the journey and I would be content when I arrive. And if 
you did achieve your picture of success, what would be the condition of your heart, your soul, your relationships? How, what would that look like? I think that these are all really important questions. And today, I want to share a, a, a parable that Jesus told. And I want to talk about three invitations to succeed from Jesus and five things that if we do, they will guarantee our failure. So three invitations to succeed and five things that will try and stop us and guarantee failure. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. And it says this, it says, again, you can read uh, up there or you can just listen to my voice or read on a device, Matthew 25 uh, 14, I'm in the New Living Translation. Again, the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus talking, can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them. While he was gone, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver, began to invest the money and earn five more. That's pretty good. Get five, earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. He had the mattress method of saving. Anyone else do that? Put your money in a mattress? Does anyone do that? How much money would be there? How would you describe your weekly habits? When are you at home? When are you not at home? That was a joke. <laughs> I've got lots of them. They're occasionally funny. But continuing. Back. Yes, back. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more. And he said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I've earned five more. That's pretty good. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and says, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Repetitive, exactly the same thing, but I'll tell you why that's important in just a minute. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid you would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. This is getting serious. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. 
To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But for those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Pretty serious. Pretty kind of almost like a bit of a horror story ending. And so this part of scripture, it's Jesus teaching on the Mount of Olives and he's answering questions about the second coming. So Jesus has come to earth and he came and uh, he died and he rose again and he ascended to heaven and he's coming back. And so this is what we believe. And so the disciples saying and other people saying, hey, what's going to happen when you come back? How will we know? What are the signs? How we can be ready and how can we prepare? Now, part of what is going on, Jesus is talking about, is judgment. Judgment is this kind of like uncomfortable word. And certainly as a church, we don't exist to judge people. At the same time, we exist, we exist to help people. But part of the way that we help people is to prepare people to stand before God. Because the Bible is very clear that God will judge the earth. Now, I'd prefer to say some other stuff. I'd prefer to say some happier stuff. Prefer to tell a joke. I probably will later. But right now, our role as a church, we, we don't exist to judge people. But we do want to say, hey, are you ready for the judgment that's coming? This is really important. It's fundamental. At the end of our lives, when we go to be with Jesus or Jesus returns, we're going to stand before God. We're going to give an account And the first thing, I believe, he's going to talk to us about a couple of things. One of the things he's going to talk to us about, the main thing, what did you do with Jesus? Did you recognize him as the Son of God? Did you see him? Did you accept? And did you come to him and say, Jesus, you are God. I accept who you are and I allow you to forgive my sins and restore my relationship with God. That's one of the things, I believe, first thing. The other thing he's going to say is, how did you live your life? He's going to say, what did you do with your life? What did you do with what I gave you? The people that I sent to your life, how did you treat them? The things that you have, did you just use them for yourself? Or did you use them for my glory? This is a sobering thought, but we can't as a community of faith, as a church not teach this because it's in the Bible. And so what part of this process of getting ready is bringing our lives into the light, bringing our, changing our perspective, the things that we do, as I was saying, uncovering our thoughts. What even is success anyway? At the end of my life, what even is my purpose? What am I aiming for? I know that often in my life, in fact, daily, I have to recorrect my course and I have to come back to this idea that I live for God's glory. I live for His purposes and that we're singing about freedom. That is the most freeing thing to know that we live for the purposes of God. And so the three invitations to success from Jesus... The first one, based on this passage, 
is to do this, is to ask God what is his plan and his purpose for your life. So today, I don't know, we've got a a group of people, some who I know, some who we're just meeting. But my question to you is, do you know, have you ever asked, and maybe you haven't, God, what is your plan and your purpose for my life? I'll tell you what it's not. It's not that everyone becomes a pastor. Okay? We're going to talk about there's all kinds of things that can happen. We're going to share some stories about that. But to be in a position where we ask. Now, these characters in this story, they were instructed. They received a message from Jesus. And the reason that they did is they were servants. So if you want to position yourself to hear what God's plans and purposes for your life are, the first thing that you've got to do is you've got to adopt the posture of a servant. You've got to say, hey, God, you're God. I'm not. I exist I humble myself before you and I exist to serve you because you are something that I'm not. You, you know everything. You know what is best for me. And so this idea that we have to surrender who we are and say, God, I trust you. This is the first thing that you need to do in order to receive from God. What is, what is your purpose? What is your assignment? What do you want me to do? We have to adopt the posture of a servant. So I had the privilege of finishing this sermon at nine o'clock last night because I got to one o'clock on Friday and the sermon that I had prepared, I felt really strongly not to share. So who knows what will happen to that one? Maybe it will make a comeback. Maybe it will just exist uh, somewhere, maybe in the cloud and also in my mind. But as I was kind of praying and I felt... God say, hey, that's, that's not the message for today. And so, what is? And as I was praying into that, so I was saying, God, like, if that's not it, what is it? What is it? And one of the phrases, one of the themes of this message, but one of the phrases that kept coming very strongly to me is this one. We are not here for our own purposes. We are not here for our own purposes. And I believe that there are people, maybe somebody particularly, maybe a group of people that need to hear that you are not here for your own purposes. I am not here for my own purposes. But the best thing that you can do with your life is surrender it up to God. The idea here is not to narrow things down. Or to make things, to spiritualize everything. Or to say, hey, everybody, I want you to be a Bible college teacher or a pastor or a preacher. Let me share a a quick story. Many of you might have heard or seen the classic movie Chariots of Fire. It's based on the 1924 Olympics. And there are two runners, one from Scotland and one from England. Eric Liddell and Harold Abrahams. Both were gifted and successful athletes who carried the hopes of their respective nations on their backs when they raced. Eric Liddell was a devout Christian who represented Scotland. He was a missionary and some believed he should give up his running so that he could preach the gospel. 
But Eric Liddell was seeking God. And he felt very strongly that God had called him not only to race, but to race for the glory of God. God is not going to call everybody here to be pastors. God is going to call some people here. There's people here who are going to be, uh, I believe in the history of this church, are going to be athletes or are athletes. Um, there are people going to be successful business people or are successful business people. All kinds of professions in medicine, in education, you name it. But God is going to put a new perspective in your life and your heart where you know without a shadow of doubt you have conviction that where you are, God has placed you and he has energized you to do everything for the glory of God. And when you get in that position, there is something that happens because you realize that if it's God's will, it's God's bill. Life takes a lot of energy. But when you partner with Jesus, there is this flow to say, hey, God, you've put me here. You've placed me here. I'm here on purpose, for a purpose. And there's a life and an energy flow that happens. Harold Abrahams ran for Great Britain. He loved his country as well as the sport. And he was obsessed with winning. He studied the sport, threw himself completely into it and made running his overarching passion. In the movie, you see a clear contrast between Liddell and Abrahams. They both run, but they run for very diff different reasons. In one scene, Abrahams says, And now, in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down the corridor, four feet wide, with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? That's a little bit of pressure. Just a little bit. My whole life is boiled down to 10 seconds. And if I win, I will be successful. And if I don't, I will be a failure. I want to suggest another alternative, which we'll see here. In a different scene, Liddell says, I believe God made me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. And when I run... I feel his pleasure. What if we were a group of people that we could be in our workplace, that we could be on a sporting field, that we could be in our home? Things that we may not consider spiritual. Okay, inverted air quotes, spiritual. But as we're doing that, we're like, I know God has called me to this. And as I'm working in a bank, I feel God's pleasure. I am not striving. I'm not using this opportunity to say, to justify my existence. But I'm saying, God, I know I'm here for a purpose and on purpose. And as I do this, I feel your pleasure. The smile of Jesus over me. How good is that? Really quickly, some of you have never done this, never asked this question. Something that when people uh, say to me, different people say, hey, I haven't experienced this thing or that thing in, in Christian life or I'm not sure if God 
has spoken to me. One of the things I say to you, say to them is, why don't you ask God for a hundred days in a row? Why have I chosen a hundred? Is it based on uh, something special that I know about the Bible? No, it's not. I could say it's based on some kind of hidden knowledge, but it's just persistence. You ask God persistently. If you don't know where God has called you, you ask him. And ask him every day for 100 days. That's one thing that you can do. Isn't that good? So first thing, ask God what his purpose and assignment is for your life. This is an invitation to success. The, sex, the next thing is, I've got a bit of a fly over there, is accept your starting point and that what you have doesn't belong to you. Here's what we need to do. We need to accept our starting point and that what we have belong to us. This links to the first guarantee for failure. Okay? One of the ways that you can guarantee that you'll fail in life is that you compare yourself relentlessly to other people. Now, in this story, think about the first two people. One was given five uh, bags of silver. The other was given two. What was Jesus' response to their assignment and their results? Five that was doubled, two that was doubled. What did Jesus say to them? Exactly the same thing. What do you expect, logically, that if the person who had one had doubled that to another one? Jesus would have said exactly the same thing. Jesus is is not interested in your ability compared to someone else's ability. He just wants to know that you have an idea about your assignment in life and your purpose in life and that you do a good job. Who knows that the idea of comparison is so emotionally draining? We use so much, we misplace so much of our energy comparing ourselves to other people. We've got all kinds of ways that we can do it. We can do it with money, we can do it with appearance, we can do it with success, all kinds of things. We can become incredibly skilled at it. And we can be so consumed and it de-energizes us. It also guarantees that we will fail in life because we don't want to use that energy and waste that energy, we, we want to use that energy for our purpose, our assignment. We don't need to compare it. Our perception of other people's abilities compared to ours. It's not good. And allowing other things. So we need to accept our starting point. Hey, I am who I am. My past is my past. Let's get on with the job. Let's get on with doing what God's given us because he's given us everything that we need to do it. The second thing that we need to know is that what we have doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. And this is in the Bible we call the principle of stewardship. I believe one of the questions is God is going to say to us is, what have you done with what I've given you? He's going to say, To me, as the leader of this church, the people that came to your church, did you love them? Did you teach them about the truth of Jesus? 
he's going to say to me, I gave you finances and resources. Did you use it well? Did you use it on yourself? Did you share it? Were you generous? Did you think about others? Did you think about the poor? Absolutely. This uh, parable is also called the parable of the talents. But it's talking about money. And I believe that it can be more than money. It can be gifts, but it can never be less than money. Does that make sense? Because God is also interested in how we spend our money. Because it occupies a lot of our lives and a lot of our thoughts. God wants us to know that what we have doesn't belong to us. It's very freeing. Because if you connect everything that you have to God... You don't feel the pressure that you've got to provide everything for everyone because you connect with provider and say, hey, it's not just my job to provide for my family. I work hard to do that. But my family belongs to Jesus and my finances belong to Jesus and my time belongs to Jesus. So as I share that, I expect that God will provide and he does. So, so cool. So, Accept your starting point and what you have doesn't belong to you. The third thing is to apply yourself to the task. This passage is talking about diligence, effort, equipping, resilience, hard work. Really important. The second guarantee of failure is lack of effort and resilience. If you don't put effort into life, I will guarantee you will fail. If you fold at the first setback, I guarantee that you will fail. And Jesus is talking specifically about this person who was lazy. The Bible says quite a bit about this. I've got a couple of scriptures. Proverbs 18.9, it says, A lazy person is as bad as someone who destroys things. That's some wisdom there. Second Thessalonians, talking about the early church. For we hear that some of you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Okay, who's ever been there? Don't put up your hand, I'll put up your hand for you. Yeah, there's times that like, just stop worrying about other people, Andrew, and just get on with what God has called you to. There's another one, James 1. 22. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. The Christian life, the assignment, the purposes of God, they require energy. They require effort. They require diligence. And God has called us to work hard. Now, we'll continue to talk about it, not because we're proving ourselves to God and not with our own strength but no doubt to partner with God in his assignment. There's a difference. Really cool. So we've talked about the three invitations to success. Ask God what his purpose and assignment is for your life. Accept your starting point and that what you have doesn't belong to you and apply yourself to the task. We've talked about two guarantees to failure. The first one is comparison. The second one is lack of effort and resilience and the the final three are found in this passage, uh, Matthew 25, 24. It says, Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. 
I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Here is your money back. The third thing that will try and stop you from achieving the success that God defines and guarantee you favor is a distorted image of God. This person said he knew God. God, I knew you were. It was a distorted image. Here's what one commentator had to say. He has cloaked his laziness behind his solemn God talk excuses. He has a high view of God, but a wrong view of God. He has a fear of God, but an improper fear of God. And thus he has the audacity to blame generous Jesus for his own apathy and inactivity. It's a, it's a little, it stings a little bit. I'm okay with it. I'm still smiling. Does it does us good? If we have a distorted image of God, how do we know what God is like? The first place to start is Jesus. He died for us. He gave up his life for us. He put aside his status as God and he came to earth to love us. He also gave this message. God is a loving father. God is a good father. Yes, he is a judge, but he's a just judge and he provides a way through Jesus Christ. And God wants us to know that if you have a wrong image of God, if you have a wrong image of success, if you use or create an image of God that suits, uh, that you manipulate so that you can do what you want to do, you're not going to achieve the success, the fulfillment, the joy that God has given you. It's connected to the fourth one. We're almost done. Blaming God and others. So a distorted image of God and blaming God and others. Why do we blame? It's really easy. Blaming doesn't cost me anything. I can just be like, oh, it's Tanya's fault. Job done. I can feel better about myself instantly. But what we do, unwittingly, we surrender power when we blame. We make ourselves powerless. And if you're giving power away, you can't move forward into freedom and you feel stuck. So you're blaming, but you feel stuck. It's a contradiction, but God invites us to take responsibility and to partner with him. God wants to bring us into freedom. The fifth thing and the last thing. Really quickly, it will guarantee failure. Is fear driving your decisions? Who here has been in a situation where they've made a decision based on fear? Okay, it makes you pretty stupid. That's my experience. You make some really bad decisions based on fear. I've shared this story before when I first started uh, doing mountain biking I wasn't very good I wasn't very skilled or experienced and I kept running into trees which is bad okay you don't need to know a lot about mountain biking I kept running into trees falling off bridges 
uh, falling off rocks, hurting myself, breaking stuff. Um, suboptimal. I'd love to say, oh, I'm amazing at everything that I do. I'm a natural, but that's not life. All right. So, but one thing I, I noticed is that I had, in, I particularly remember one time what they call point fixation. There was a very big tree and I was looking at it going, don't hit it, don't hit it, don't hit it. And it hurt. That's what we do when we have fear. Fear tells us to focus on what we don't want. We put a negative vision. And what's our pattern? What's our track record when we do that? Is it good or is it bad? It's bad. It's really bad. And so this person in this story had put this fear based on a distorted image of God and it used this fear as a basis for all their decision-making. And the result was that they dug a hole and put the money in. They didn't even take it to a bank. That's what the master said. You could have even done a minimum. I want to encourage us that God has not called us to live a life of fear. God has called us to live a life of purpose. And so what he wants to do, but only if you'll accept the invitation, is say to you, I've got something different for you. I've got a different purpose. I've got a different assignment. What if we went around this room? We're not going to do it now. Those are getting nervous. But like a month from now, and each and every one of us said, I know, at least for right now, not the whole future, I know where God has placed me. Some of you, it's like, I know that God has called me to be a mother or a father. And when I do that, I feel the glory. I feel the pleasure of God. I do it for God's glory. I know that God has called me to my workplace. Some of you, maybe a couple of you, are like, hey, I'm in the wrong place. I've got to have wisdom to redirect. But what if we went around and each and every one, you just had this peace and this, I'm not worried about someone else. I'm not worried about the person on the left or my right. I'm not comparing myself. But I'm just accepting who God is and who he's called me and placed me to be. Who thinks that would be releasing and energizing? It is. It is. It's not without challenges, but it is. Let me give you this one scripture. I'm going to invite Tanya to play something um, that I think is really important when we come to the application of our energy and effort in life. It's Colossians 1.29. And the Apostle Paul is saying this, To this end, I strenuously contend. That's what God's called us to do, right? With all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. God wants you to fight. He wants you to contend. He wants you to work hard. But the energy is not your own energy. It's a partnership. And so I hope that each and every one of you, I don't know where you are on the journey. Maybe some of you got to go this week. I'm going to start really quickly creating a space every day, asking God, God, what is your purpose for my life? We'll help you as a, as a community. I'll help you. Beck will help you. Other leaders will help you if you start that out. 
Because like Eric Liddell, we want you to be able to say, when I do what God's called to me, I feel his pleasure. I do it for the glory of God. I believe, honestly, I believe if you do that, and if we do that, our lives will change, our family will change, the atmosphere in our home will change, the way that we approach work. Do we get up from our the morning with a grunt and a sigh? Or do we say, hey, I'm here for purpose and on purpose, and God has given me everything that I need to be wildly successful, to be wildly fruitful, to be wildly effective, not without challenges, not without obstacles, but to contend. It almost seems like a paradox. To contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Awesome. Can we pray together? Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes. Jesus, we thank you that you're in the room. We thank you that you are speaking to people. For some people, you're nudging them, prodding them, poking them. God, I pray that we would have our ears open to your voice and to your word. Lord, anyone that at the moment is excluding themselves or saying, hey, that's not me or you don't know my history or my circumstance. God, you want everybody to know that you, that they are in. Real quick, while your head's bowed, eyes closed, if there's anyone here and you've never made that first decision to follow Jesus, you may not know everything that it involves, but just to say, hey, Jesus, I want to accept you as God and I want to start a journey with you. If that's you, could you let me know just by lifting up your hand wherever you are and I would love to pray for you wherever you are. If that's you and say, I want to start this journey. Just take a minute. If there's anyone that wants to do that, we'll do that. Awesome. Yeah. I see those hands. Is there anyone else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, we know that you love us. We know that you have good things prepared for us. And we know that you are with us. And so, God, we thank you for those that have chosen to make, chosen to make that journey and that decision. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Final thing. One more minute. Uh, the, this uh, week, my dad, Pastor John, he shared with me, um, something that he was praying into about the men of this church, that God is wanting them to grow as strong pillars. And so we're going to take a moment to do that. So God, we thank you for the men of this house, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you have called them. Lord, we thank you for a growing sense of purpose, for a growing conviction of purpose. I believe that that word is connected with this word, that their, their strength as pillars will grow with their conviction of who that God has placed them and called them to be. And I want to say, I want to say, Anderson, God has called you to be a pillar in the house of God. He's giving you strength. He is putting iron within you. He is putting a new Holy Ghost, supernatural, Holy Spirit, life, which is a strength within you.
You're going to be like that oak tree. You're going to flourish. You're going to be fruitful. All the things, all the dreams, God is restoring them in your heart. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us. Um, We're going to create some space. If you want some prayer for anything to respond, you can come up the front. Our team's also going to bring some snacks and drinks. Uh, You can hang out. Make sure that you leave space uh, for people in your group. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about City Lights Church at www.citylights.community.